0: Hello, everyone. I'm going to invite you now to find Luke chapter 4. So glad that you're here this morning, and we welcome you uh, to church. If we have not met, I'm Pastor Peter. I welcome you this morning. We are continuing uh, our learning from one portion of Scripture in Luke chapter 4 that started last week that Edgar preached Jesus' very first sermon that he ever preached to his hometown. And I also want to let you know that Edgar is up in the mountains right now with a bunch of youth. And, you know, I think these are very formative experiences for our youth and even for our youth pastor and his team. And so I thought what would be good is if we can just bring our hearts to prayer for them now Uh, I know that camp was a place where I really began to understand the true nature of who Jesus was and uh, my my relationship with him, my discipleship with him really uh, was marked and formed in pivotal and important ways up uh, at camp, up on the mountain with Jesus. And so I'm going to pray And would you uh, lend your hearts in prayer as well as we lift up our youth together? Uh, Lord Jesus, uh, we pray now for Edgar as he leads the team and for Erica uh, that uh, you would be with them, give them energy, um, give them encouragement, give them your words uh, to speak to the youth of St. Andrews, Um, And Lord, we pray for our youth, um, that you would bless them, um, that they would hear your voice and know your love, and that they would understand who you are. Lord, we pray for those who have yet to have a relationship with you, Lord, that this might be the morning, um, that this might be the time where they begin to know you um, and to understand your love for them. And we also pray for those uh, who are looking for purpose and calling in life, Lord Jesus, that you would speak to them and call them, and they would begin to do what you would want for them, your will for them and their lives. And so we pray that you would do that now. In your precious and holy name, we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, Luke. Chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 20 and go to verse 30 this morning. It says this, Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began by saying to them, Truly, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing." All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. is it this Joseph's son, they asked? Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote the proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. And you will tell me, Do here in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. Truly, I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them but a widow in Zarapath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. So we can see here that I got the harder of the two techno from the, <laughs> just saying. <laughs> um, Edgar did a wonderful job last week of helping us to understand uh, the text that Jesus. Chooses in order to preach his first sermon to his hometown crowd. He chooses Isaiah 61, the first two verses. He stands up, he reads them, and it says that all the eyes were transfixed on him. And even after he tells them this wonderful news that he is the messiah it says that the people on the patio after the service were all speaking well of him and yet we see such a dramatic turn in this story right after verse 22 everything changes And by the end of our story there, Jesus is up on a cliff in his own hometown in the place where he lived. And all those same people whose eyes were transfixed, who spoke well of him, are now getting ready to throw him off a cliff. And so the obvious question is, how did we see this dramatic turn? What happened? What happened? What did Jesus say that would make People's adulation turned to hate and anger and murderous rage. Well, we see at the beginning of this story um, that really Jesus did have a moment here, right? Where he was the hometown hero, and there's a way by which uh, we can understand what's going on here, right? They heard the good news, it tickled their ears, and they were like, okay, I can get behind this, Jesus, the one who was raised in our hometown, in our backyard, the one that we went to school with and had dinners with and went to weddings with and uh, made jokes with, we enjoy, we have some of his uh, carpentry in our house. And now he is the Messiah, all right. From our hometown, Team Jesus, this is us. And they knew how to be fans. They knew how to say, wow, this is really good and beautiful. And the assumption here is what Jesus is coming towards. Right? If we stop at verse 22, our life's pretty good, right? We get to go from here, we get some brunch, we get some mimosas, and we say, man, Team Jesus, all right, he is for us. He's going to be our guy. He's going to do our work, our bidding. All we need to do is be on Team Jesus, and everything's going to go the way we want it to go. But Jesus does what he always does when you have an authentic encounter with him in this story, which is he shows what's in the crowd's heart, and he shows what's in his heart. And we might think of the temptation here that Jesus was facing, first and foremost, which is the crowd's adulation. That if Jesus stops at verse 22 two, what he would get is a lot of popularity. Um, the voice of the crowd is strong and it has power. And there's echoes here of Jesus in the wilderness with Satan who's tempting him to do various miracles for spectacle. And that is what Jesus says was in the heart of the crowd on that day is what they really wanted. they heard the whispers of what had happened in Capernaum. The miracles that Jesus was doing for people he didn't even know that well. And they thought, well... If he did that for them, what's he going to do for us? And, man, it would be really nice if we could see one of those miracles and go home and brag to our friends about what we saw and where we were. But Jesus goes straight to the heart, right? He, he sees the motives. He reveals the motives. He's surfacing the motives of this group. And he does it uh, standing in a tradition. A tradition that his audience would have understood. And there are three main offices that go all the way through the sweep of Scripture. For those who would lead God's people, they are the office of priests, of king and of prophet and we can look at this odd line all the way in genesis about this priest melchizedek and we don't quite get so much information other than he was the very first priest that ever lived but in the new testament in the new testament church in the book of hebrews It really informs us that Jesus stands in the line of Melchizedek because Melchizedek was the first one to present sacrifices in order to atone for the people's sins. And Jesus was the fulfillment of the priestly line because he gave himself as the once and for all atoning sacrifice for all sin. So Jesus is priest. And we can look at David. David, who defeated Goliath, David, who consolidated the power of Israel and gave it sustainability, and taught that a king can be more than just a powerful, oppressive ruler, but can also be one who serves, one who knows the depths of sorrow, who's self sacrificial. And we can see Jesus, when he's on the scene, he announces the kingdom of heaven is at hand. My kingdom is here. And then we see in Revelation, and he's crowned with many crowns. And so we see Jesus as a fulfillment of the kingly line. But also in our story this morning, what we see is Jesus showing his prophetic side. And I think those first two that we talk about, we can all really put our amen there pretty easily yes these are beautiful things uh, about who jesus is but if we want the full unity if our job here ultimately as a group and individually is full unity with jesus then we need to understand his entire character and when we get to the prophetic side it gets harder It was hard for the crowd on that day, and I'm not sure much has changed. And we see Jesus standing in this tradition, and he's talking about Elijah and Elisha. And as he surfaces what's in the crowd's heart, he then reveals his heart. And he shows what's inside there through these two stories. The story of a great famine in the time of Elijah. Who was sent to confront the king of Israel in his time in this great drought. And after three and a half years of this great drought, the people were starving. And this is revealed to us in uh, 1 Kings chapter 17 when Elijah runs across this poor widow. And this poor widow, it's said, is out. she's out collecting sticks. And she enters this dialogue with Elijah and she tells him that she's out there to get sticks to create the last fire for the last meal, for the last little bit of flour that she has in the world and her and her daughter are going to have their last meal and then they're going to go and die. And Elijah goes up to this Gentile woman who was not part of his tribe and he shows her what God is up to in his time. As he confronts the king of his people, he's out With this poor widow, who is not from his tribe, and he says, go and make one more meal. And so she does, and she discovers that the flour never runs out. That there's always more flour that God wants to provide for the Gentiles. We know that because in this story, Jesus is very particular, right? He says, in this story, he says, Here's my teaching on this, just in case you missed it. He could have picked any widow. There was a lot of widows, but he picked this one because she was not from his tribe. And then he goes on to tell another story, the story of Naaman, who was a military commander in the Syrian army who had leprosy. I mean, it's a fascinating story. He, he thinks he's big and powerful. And so he tells Elisha, that the way that Elisha says he should be healed isn't good enough, but eventually his servants convince him to humble himself, and he goes with Elijah's way and plan, and he's healed. And Jesus again points out, he says, there were a lot of people with leprosy in that time, but Elisha picked Naaman because he was a Syrian. Not from his tribe, but from another tribe. You see, just like Jeremiah we read in the Old Testament story this week, the office of prophet is to call to question a people's hometown, to call to critique the institutions of religious power that have lost their way, and then to show the reason for that critique which is all of the people that aren't in the temple but are in the streets. And of course, the people in the temple don't love that message. They want the rah-rah, let's be a fan. We're good at being fans, but I believe the reason why this critique is there for them is so that they can be more than fans that they can become followers. And sometimes that takes the hard truth to say, look, this calling isn't always easy. It isn't always rah-rah. Sometimes it's about thinking not what is for us, but what is for those who aren't yet with us, those who feel unwelcome or have somehow picked up the message that the temple isn't where they belong. And the crowd is going to help Jesus accomplish his, accomplish his mission, right? Even though it's not the way we would think that somebody would go about accomplishing their mission, it's the way we see that Jesus is moved out from the temple, from his hometown, out into his public ministry, out on the highways and byways. From there on, itinerant, just walking around, finding all of those lost and lonely people, bringing them to restoration and making them wounded healers and saying, this is our way. This is our alternative way of being in the world. What would Jesus have lost if he would have gone with a crowd on that day? This is something we're well familiar with, I think. As we see, even the things that the algorithm honors is popularity and clicks, and the voices that are raised are the most popular voices. The ones that get attention are always the most popular voices. And those voices beckon to us and they say to us, Give us your voice. Lend us your voice. Please, come join, and we'll have this big crowd. And in an instant, we can have millions of people gathered together. And if Jesus on that day says, Okay, I'm joining with you, what he gets is popularity in his time. But what he loses is his unique and particular voice that only he has to contribute to the world. And so he's standing there on the edge of a cliff, looking at his friends and family, and doesn't tell us exactly the conversation that was happening as he's headed up the cliff, but when he's there, we see that what he does is just take that first step. He takes a first step as the crowd is expressing their hatred and anger and saying, throw him off. He just takes this first step. And what he sees is that this crowd parts and that there is a providence from heaven an anointing from heaven that is on him, that he can walk straight through this crowd. And what we get because he was willing to take that step is to understand his unique and beautiful and alternative way. That he's saying all of us are invited into walking, and following. You see, prophets are never popular in their time. They are always called to speak an unpopular truth. And it is only when we look back with the hindsight of history that we can look back and say, wow, what courage it must have took to speak the truth when nobody wanted to hear it. One of the best examples of a modern prophetic voice is one we all know extremely well. In fact, he has his own holiday. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. We get to take a Monday off every year because of him and what he did of the Civil Rights Movement. But do you know that he died at the age of 39, and he was arrested 29 times in his life? Not only that, but they did popularity polls even back in the 1960s, and they did a Harris poll at the time when he died. And his public disapproval rating was at 75%. This is a figure that is even shocking in our time for how unpopular he was, and a lot of that had to do with him speaking out against the war in Vietnam. And yet these were his words to speak about what he was about. Popular or unpopular, this is what he had dedicated himself to. He says this, I refuse to accept the view that mankind is so tragically bound to the starless midnight of racism and war that the bright daybreak of peace and brotherhood can never become a reality. I believe that the unarmed truth and unconditional love will have the final word. You see, it's not so much uh, just that we speak the truth, right? And uh, we can live in a world now, and if if you're on podcasts at all, some of you are, maybe some of you aren't, but if you're listening to the Mars Hill, Rise and Fall of Mars Hill podcast, right, like I am, then uh, you love hearing how somebody who was a really bad leader like Mark Driscoll made all the mistakes and all the truth-telling that goes into that to hopefully uh, bring about some better way for the church, But the critique is not enough. And if we live just in the critique, then we miss the whole point. Because Jesus wasn't just telling the truth. He embodied the truth. Now we need to tell the truth so that we can learn how to embody the truth. But we can't lose ourselves just in the critiques. And I believe that One of the best teachings on how to embody the truth of what Jesus is saying here is found in the Sermon on the Mount. It's one of the most uh, challenging scriptures for me, and I just have to be honest with you about that, as a pastor. um, And I wonder if it challenges you, but also rings true. This is from Matthew But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Can you imagine a person who does a good deed, who doesn't take a picture of it or make a video of it to share with everybody else? Can you imagine the type of person that had an audience truly of only their Heavenly Father and could do something good, something self-sacrificial or somebody else and didn't need to say a word because they knew that all they needed was the love of their Heavenly Father and they could be on their way? You see, it's hard for us in our humanity to not go with the crowd, to let the crowd fill us, to let the crowd validate us, to let the crowd tell us if we're on the right track or on the wrong track. But Jesus' example here reveals that it's possible to become the kind of person, the kind of new Adam, as Jesus says, the new human who's so settled and who they are and what they're about. That all of your friends, all of your old friends and classmates and the people that you hang out with could turn on you, take you to the very edge of a cliff, and you could walk right through that crowd knowing that you are finally on the right track. And like Jesus, the day that we choose. To walk through the crowd and not with the crowd is the day that we can say along with theologian Soren Kierkegaard, by the grace of God, I have become myself. And really what I think Jesus wants is to lift every voice and to make sure that we are not an echo but a unique voice, to find the voice that God gave us, the one that we're supposed to use to speak truth. To speak the truth once we've filled our hearts with the love and compassion that Jesus has. And to speak it always with compassion and forgiveness right at hand. But to still speak it and then to go and to live it out no matter what the cost. And I would love to generate the type of culture at St. Andrews that is a goodness culture where we can do acts of service and love for each other and for our neighbors and not always have to broadcast it, but to simply do it because it is good and our Heavenly Father is good. And so he's trying to cultivate this goodness in us. And so may we take up this practice and discover this alternative way that can make our lives so much better. And I believe is the way that Jesus is calling us to go. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are willing to stand up to the crowd. We thank you that um, your voice still speaks to us today, still beckons to us today to um, to think, to think where have we uh, lost our way, um, let the crowd get inside of us um, and and to just let that fall by the wayside and, and clean house so that Uh, We can have more of what you would want for us. And uh, you would teach us when's the right time uh, to say your words and when is the right time to step into your mission. And Lord, we thank you that you use difficulty, you use challenge, you use persecution, Lord, to move us to where we actually need to be. And not where we would stay if we wanted to be comfortable. And so, Lord, give us the courage and strength to know that uh, no matter what we do, that you're our safety net, that you are the one who repairs and restores and cares, and you will, you will move your kingdom into this earth. And we thank you that we get to be a part of it. Precious and holy name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen.